it's not sex, lies, and videotapes. It's sex, lives, and human trafficking, and how it can impact your family today on the Palmetto Family Matters Podcast. You are watching the fastest growing conservative podcast here in South Carolina. I'm Dave Wilson, and I'm grateful for the fact that my friend Lisa Kerr is here from Lighthouse for Life. We're going to be talking about a really sensitive issue today. This is the issue of human trafficking. It is part of a dark underbelly that exists in South Carolina, it exists across America, it exists across the world. And until about a year ago, Lisa, I had no idea how to begin to even recognize human trafficking that was going on. You and, and we're going to hear from Bob Healy, our friend, uh, in just a little bit talking about opportunities that we have to get involved from a legislative standpoint to start putting some guardrails up in South Carolina. But the, the issue of human trafficking, I think, is so sub rosa that most people don't know mm-hmm. what it is, where it is, um, but before we get into all of that, how in the world did Lisa Kerr get involved through Lighthouse for Life and what's going on with human trafficking? Um, well, that's sort of a loaded question. I'll try to keep it short. I was a teacher in the school district for 10 years, and I worked with students with emotional disabilities, um, aka came from hard lifestyles and developed a a passion for them, for their stories, for the fact that they're human beings that just need love in a different way, in a a, um, very intentional way. So I had my own visions and dreams for what I was going to do. And then my dear friend Jen Thompson said, you should check out Lighthouse for Life. They're looking for a teacher for their school. Um, So I, trying to always be open to possibilities, met with the founder, Andrea Wind, learned a little bit more about it, said, I'll commit to one year to help you get your school started. Right. And this was seven years ago. <laughs> I have That's, That one year has kind of stretched yourself out a little I bit there. I have not really done a whole lot with the school. As it turns out, um, Andrea, our founder, ended up taking a step back, and Jen Thompson and I sort of stepped in, and I was given three tasks to do. I say I'm still trying to do those three tasks of getting the safe house going, finances, just management of the organization. So... Um, but I would say that to your point about how you had no idea till a year ago, um, it was probably even several months into working with Lighthouse for Life before it really started to impact me what this was too. I had no idea. And I learned about that far in that some of the students in the school that I interacted with on a day-by-day basis were victims of trafficking while I was there, while they were going to school. And I had no idea at the time. So, folks, as you're listening to this or you're watching this online, I want to keep one thing in mind. You have to understand that the whole concept of yes. human trafficking is a business. Yes. It operates like a business. It has product. It mm. has buyers. It has sellers. It has wholesalers and distributors. It has a marketing arm. It has influencers. It has an infrastructure that gets the product where it needs to be, when it needs to be, and a financial boom for an industry that has so many different Mm on-ramps to get people into it. When, When you think about the impact that 
human trafficking, the commercial sex business is one side of that. That's correct. The, the commercial uh, worker business, it, it's, it's slavery. It's slavery, whether yes. you want to call it that or not. It, yes. it is, in essence, the same thing. How, how does that really begin to impact the people who are involved? How does that impact our community? What do people need to be seeing and recognizing? Well, I think before you can really get into what do you do to see it and recognize it, you kind of got to step, take a step back and understand why it exists, where it's coming from. Um, people who are wanting to abuse another human being, like you said, a big factor in that is the power and the control and the profit that they can get from that business. Um, towards that end, there's another criminal industry out there that's pretty significant, and that's the drug market. And I think we're all pretty familiar with what the drug market is, how prevalent it is, what illegal drugs are, et cetera. Um, taking into consideration that as big a market as that is, that criminals are tending to turn more towards human beings as being their product than drugs puts a different spin on it. So, so let's take it from that standpoint then real quick, because a drug, you, you buy a drug, you, you bring it in, you sell the drug. When the drug's used, it's over, it's done with, the, it's, it's like buying a candy bar. That's right. You, you have it, you consume it, you're done, that's it. But human beings it's are not one-time products. That's right. They are, they're, for lack of a, they're like a renewable product. They just keep getting used over and over they and are. over and over again, which makes them a huge profit center that's exactly for the right. commercial human business. That's right. And so it's a reusable commodity, if you're going to put it in the ugly, realistic terms. It's also a product that you can sell again and again and again here, but it's a product that you can sell all around the world at the same time, and you can't do that with drugs. So a criminal can say, um, rape an individual, to put in the graphic sense, videotape that act. They're making money off of the act happening right here, but everybody who watches and participates in that worldwide can also feed into that profit. So now they have an industry that goes beyond any borders and can reap all sorts of profit for these, these traffickers. So as you think about this, as you're, as you're listening to this, is, this is a deep subject. And it is something that we here at Palmetto Family have distinctively decided is a major aspect of things that we're going to be working on, especially as we move into the next legislative session of the things yes. that we can do to start setting up blockades yes. to, to protect yes. our families. Uh, and one of the places of that on ramp, and you talked about it just now, you know, a, a, a child, a woman, a, a boy gets raped, mm -hmm. they videotape it. Mm -hmm. They turn around, they put it on the internet, they're selling porn now. Yes. So the consumption of porn is feeding into oh, absolutely. the industry. That's a very key factor. That is a huge, that's a it huge on-ramp onto this. So how does that play itself out? What's the mathematics to get? Because you know, most people are going to sit here and go, my kid looks at porn or you know, so-and-so. They're looking at porn all the time and... I'm not buying anything. I'm not selling anything. I'm just consuming. Right. What does, how does well, you, that start to play itself out? So you have to get to a place where sex sells. And sex can sell for multiple different reasons. One, because everybody likes sex. It feels good. It's what our bodies are designed to do. It's a natural, healthy relationship right. with, with another individual if it's done in the right context. Okay. But it, so there's a high demand for it. 
but we also live in a society i'd like to take it back to what you said the business model and say that our society markets this product markets a human being fuels this industry through the use of pornography and that is because the average viewer for pornography is between eight and ten years old and that's a kid that is being exposed to an image that is creating chemical changes in their body and making them addicted to something that they're going to want to go back and do more and more and more and you're right the pornography itself often is human trafficking because it involves people now not always you have anim anime porn and, and other things too that are twisted out there um, but that in and of itself is whenever I watch it whenever people feed into it that's profit for the traffickers that have created the porn but it's also creating the people who are going to pay for the porn because now you have people that are addicted to images, addicted to needs that eventually they're going to want to keep on watching or they're going to want to play out in real life fantasy. So the free stuff eventually becomes something that somebody ends up paying for, which then it's a spiral that moves so quickly that it then goes from images to purchasing images to purchasing video to acting out. That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. And so that you have the... The victim is being used in the pornography. So already just by watching it, you're feeling the industry. But then you're creating the generation of buyers that are going to feed the demand and then are going to continue bringing in profit because now they're addicted to something. And the thing that's scary to me is my, I'll never forget the day when my nine-year-old nephew um, was looking through some country music songs because his dad likes country music. Well, why wouldn't he want to look into that? But as he's scrolling through these songs, all of a sudden these ads start popping up that are very sexual in nature, that are very pornographic in nature. He is not looking for that. He's not one of those people out there that says, hey, I wanna, I wanna look at porn. He is being bombarded by an image that he didn't ask for. And that's it's, like, being, it's really being shoved in his that's face. That's like giving heroin to our kids and right. saying, hey, good luck with that. <laughs> now you have an addiction that you have to overcome for your life. So we're, we're pushing this on our kids in a way that then as they get older, it breaks down their defenses to ever say no to somebody who wants to exploit them, or it puts them in the position where they now need to get that addiction met. So they're gonna go into a hotel, they're gonna go online, they're gonna go to any of these sporting events or places where product is being advertised for sale and they're going to purchase another human being and the cycle of human trafficking continues. This is a place that when, when we really start breaking things down and we begin to see it playing itself out, there are so many other entry points yes. that we've talked about. You know, there's, a, there's a story that you've told before of a girl who gets herself involved and, and ends up getting trafficked, but the, the pathway of getting her in there just seemed like a, a good, friendly person yes. just trying to help out. Tell folks what that story was. Because this, folks, is where you begin to recognize there's a there's a term called grooming, mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do with your hair product, but it has everything to do with the way that they develop a product yes. for use. So you've got people who are grooming mm -hmm. other people, younger people, to get into a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that one. So we recently on our website, you can go and look at all of this for yourself, broke down the process, the most common process of someone becoming victimized into six phases. Okay. The first phase is identifying. And that's where you have a trafficker that says, 
Um, my audience, my clients want a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl this age. They want a young boy who's a virgin. Like they'll figure out what the demand is and equate human bodies in terms of product. So then they're looking and identifying them. So that's the first one. Once they've identified, then they are going to do what the grooming or recruiting stages, and that is um, learning more about who they are to understand what their needs and vulnerabilities are. Okay. Um, and then meeting those needs. It's a very strong misconception that the majority of human trafficking victims are kidnapped. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, it does, um, and it's just as tragic, but traffickers are learning that they're gonna meet with more resistance and it's gonna be harder to get immediate control over their product if they kidnap them as opposed to if they be the hero that then psychologically and emotionally entrap somebody with them to begin with. So it's, so, e so it's so, an easier product for them. It's an easier product to get. It may take a longer cycle to get them involved. But the but it's a lot harder to um, to disconnect that bondage. Right. Think about it in this way: if um, you get in an argument with someone you love, your spouse or somebody you care about, and you're upset and frustrated with them, and then they come back the next day and say, "I'm so sorry. I never meant to. I love you." you're gonna be a lot quicker to forgive that individual than if somebody came up to you on the street outside of a gas station and starts pissing you off. Right. And then they say, oh, I'm sorry. You're gonna not be as quick to wanna to move forward with that relationship. But because there's an emotional attachment with this, your spouse or somebody you care about, you're quicker to forgive, you're right. quicker to overlook the things that are unpleasant or the things you don't like because there's an attachment. You want to believe in them. So that's what so the grooming strange. Yes. So they're creating is doing. that attachment. So they identify yes. who they are, they recognize what their vulnerabilities are, their needs, they start to meet those and, it and could, then where's it go? And it could be um, food, it could be shelter, it could be your common stuff. The story you're talking about was an emotional need, which we often don't think about. And that's just she was in a fight with her mom and needed an older friend or somebody to vent to. Well, how common is that for every single one of us? And yet that's not something that I would have looked at her and say, she's at risk for being a victim. But she was because she had an emotional need that could be exploited in that time frame. Um, so once they've identified that need, they've groomed them, they've gotten that relational attachment, and then the next thing that they're gonna start to do is isolate. That isolating is it could be physical, encouraging them to run away from home, to go with them to another state, um, to leave with a trafficker, or it could be emotional, psychological. Your parents don't have your best interest in heart. Your friends are trying to hold you back from being your true self. Like they're creating a dividing line between anybody that could support you in your life. And then from there, once they get you isolated, they get you kind of emotionally attached to them, then it starts to get uglier and we have what's called the breaking phase. Okay. And in the breaking phase, that's where it's like they have a product, they now need to get them ready for market. Um, and you're breaking any remaining resistance that an individual might have. So it could be forcing them to watch porn, it could be rape, it could be threats against their family members if they try to run. It'll be forcing them to um, see things, to learn how to dress, to learn what the rules of the life are, to um, beating them and to starving them, whatever means it is that's gonna break that emotional resistance. Once they have them in a place where they're ready to start selling them, then they market them. And then you have the maintenance phase, the regulating phase, and that's where it's like, this is gonna become the new normal. Your, your life, this is all the life you're ever gonna have. So you might as well settle into it. Just accept that you're gonna be sold. 
day in and day out, that you might be addicted to drugs, that there's no escape, that there's no alternatives, and and just maintaining and regulating that product. So we have so many other things that go around this, Lisa, that that really help to to foster. That's right. Them being trapped in yes. this, and you know, some people may look at this and go, "It's so it's so easy just to get away from something." Yeah. But so often, I think this is an industry that is targeting into, as you said, in 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 step. Step. I'm trying to step two, right up front. Yeah. Recognizing and identifying vulnerabilities. Yes. And how then to begin to exploit those yes. vulnerabilities. There are so many places where, as a parent, you may be sitting there going, "Well, I get into arguments with my kids all the time, or there are these things that are going on." But I think it's a place where your involvement as a parent with yes. your child, knowing where they are, knowing where they're going, who they're involved with. And, yes. and, and, you know, we talk about these things all the time. These are some of the most dangerous That's tools exactly that right. are out there. That's right. Um, because it's so easy to not only, I mean, as a parent, you know, I use mine to go, okay, where are my kids? What are they doing? Where, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on? But at the same time, these are access points yes. for kids to get connected in with other people. Mm-hmm. And to also be tracked, followed, and, and everything else. You can have the best security system on your house imaginable, but if your kid has that device, it's a mute point. And if you think about the time when most people are at their most vulnerable state, it's going to be at night. Mm-hmm. It's going to be at the end of the day when you're, you're decompressing, you're starting to, to compare yourself to the others in the day, you're starting to think through all the things that went wrong, your failures, your insecurities, that's when we're loneliness. So what do we have with us in that room, in that space? It's our cell phone. And that cell phone, it could be innocent as, hey, I'm gonna go shopping. Well, you're like, well, that's not inviting somebody in. No, it's not, except for all those wonderful ads that come up, or I'm gonna do a game, and then you have that chat room. So they'll throw in the pornography ads, or the solicitation through chat rooms, or whatever it is, or um, messaging, that sees the person in their most vulnerable state and has the answer. Right. And you feel safe because you're in your room, in your bedroom. And yet that emotional triggers start to break down any resistance and then they want to meet in person or then they've gotten images. Because that's the other thing that the, the porn does is in our society, we so normalize sex and the sexualization of our bodies, especially in the confusing realm of what is gender identity? What are my relationships with people? What does love look like? Not, you know, not to get into any of those areas, but those create a space for curiosity and unknowns and, and trying for kids to figure out this world to where it makes it easy for a trafficker to come in and say, hey, I want you to show me this picture of yourself, or you should send a picture to their friend, and now they have ammunition against them, which is what these bills and because, things are going to so, address. So that, that is a place where so so often you may get into a situation where a person sends a photo mm-hmm. or there's a video taken of a situation and now all of a sudden it's in the blackmail stage for lack of a better phrase it's 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 pure straight up blackmail if you don't do what i want that's right i'm going to show everybody what you did and then the shame and the embarrassment that goes along with that is just it, it spins it out of control that's exactly right and it's very easy to exploit shame when we think about this from that standpoint, we have so many different ways that this that this breaks itself out. 
is there hope oh, absolutely. for people who are trapped? You Lighthouse for Life is one of six, seven, eight, nine organizations across the state that are in various stages of either trying to yes. help people get out of or provide the support for people getting out of human trafficking. It's hard to place a number on this. I mean, we talk about it from the, we were, you were talking about drugs a minute ago in South Carolina. We, we talked about this earlier, this, the statistics of people dying from opioid overdose, okay? Mm -hmm. 1,734 people died of opioid overdose in 2021. Man. That's a statistical number. DHEC has the number. It's, it's plain as day. Mm -hmm. And yet that's just a fraction Exactly. Of the people who are wrapped up and trapped up in the the whole drug culture, the mm -hmm. whole drug situation where they're addicted, they, they're trying to get out of it. Mm -hmm. What does it look like on the human trafficking side? Is it similar? Oh, I would I would argue that it is overtaking the drug market in prevalence. So if you think about the hundreds of thousands that are affected by the drug market, it would be equally that, if not more so, from the human beings because of the high profit. And so, yes, there's lots of things that people can do. There definitely is hope because there's agencies like ours that want to come alongside and support those who have found themselves victimized. Um, there's a lot that has to happen. You can learn more about us. There's definitely not enough time in this podcast right. to talk about that. We'd be happy to answer those questions. But equally so is we need you to come alongside on the preventative side and meet those vulnerabilities before the trafficker does. And that's something that everybody can do to be a part of this fight is shrink that target on, those, on the backs of those that you care about, on your community members, on your church members and your family and their friend groups so that it is harder for traffickers to find an end to connect with these kids to begin with. Again, I would welcome hours worth of conversations with sitting down with individuals and say, for you specifically in your context, how do we fight this? So as you're listening to this or you're watching us today, this is a first of many different conversations on these issues that we're going to be covering here at Palmetto Family. It's real simple the reason why. This is going on right under our noses, and most folks in South Carolina have absolutely no clue that it's happening. That's right. They have no idea how deep it is and how much of a cesspool is actually stirring right underneath our feet. When we come back, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to add Bob Healy into our conversation uh, to talk more about three different pieces of legislation that we're going to be looking at going into the next legislative session, so stick with us. Christianity has done more good for more people than any other entity or force in the world by far, period. We will not be deterred. We will not be intimidated. We will not be shut up. We will not sit down. We will not slow down. We will double down. Welcome back to the fastest growing conservative podcast here in South Carolina. I'm Dave Wilson. Joining me now, Bob Healy with the South Carolina Legislative Roundtable. Bob, we have talked on so many different fronts. We just heard from Lisa and, and really have a better understanding of the pathways of what's going on when it comes to how our, our children and, and people within our communities are getting sucked into and trapped in the whole realm of human trafficking, whether it's on the the, the work side or the sex trade side. So let's talk about ways that 
people can begin to, to recognize things that could be done legislatively mm -hmm. and the work that needs to be done in South Carolina to, to really at least put up some level of a firewall when it comes to addressing the entry points into human trafficking. One of the first places that you and I talked about before is there's a, a the concept of a filter bill. Right. And how exactly, what exactly is a filter bill? I know that when I have, when I get a phone, I buy a phone today, and when I get it, my I, I can set the filters up for my kids, but, I, you know, I, I at least have a little bit of, of tech. As much as Mitch Prosser likes to tell me how old I actually am, I actually do know how to set up filters on my kids' phones. But, but reality is, Bob, what is that filter there for, and, and what is the industry not doing to protect kids? Well, the filters, you're one of the few that has no problem activating the filters on your phone. Most parents aren't technically competent, and it's a barrier to uh, activating the filter. Furthermore, most people don't know that there's a filter on the phone. It's, uh, the public awareness of that fact is, is very, very low. Uh, in 2004, the Supreme Court acted on a case that uh, would have banned the production of all uh, pornography from the internet, the publication of all pornography from the internet. And they said that it was, uh, they struck it down because they said that it um, denied adults their uh, First Amendment rights to consume pornography. Uh, just so that everybody knows that's actually not in the constitution your right to pornography is not there but that's another government lesson for another day that's true but uh, the supreme court struck it down but they also in their decision recognized that the states have a compelling interest to protect children from adult material so they were stuck between a rock and a hard place and they came up with the concept of um, putting filters on these devices because these devices uh, smartphones and tablets are the dominant venue through which children access adult material. So, because um, this this is this is replaced the TV. Oh, more this so. has replaced the 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 mag the girly magazines at the at the at the uh, convenience store. This this device has given rise to a revolution in our society. Right. It's changed the way we go about our day. I mean, the way we live our lives. Uh, it's it's really been profound some of the changes are really positive and good and others are destructive i mean you're watching you're watching a podcast today or you're listening to a podcast today that is based upon the technologies that are here i mean we are able to do this and you're able to listen in on these conversations because of the technologies that are out there but we're using it for good but there are a lot of people bob who are using it for evil purposes well and and you've been talking about pornography and the the internet is flooded with pornography. Um, the purveyors of this material use technology to um, reach children. They actually target children with this product and it's highly addictive um, and, and toxic. Uh, but anyway, the Supreme Court um, wanted to protect children from the harmful effects of adult material. So they said that the best way to do that is not to prevent its publication at the source but to uh, put filters on it where the children access it. So uh, the manufacturers of uh, these devices, uh, Apple, Samsung, and all the others, went out and complied with the Supreme Court decision, but they did it in such a way that instead of protecting 
the compelling right to protect children from harmful adult material, they did it in such a way that it protected the status quo at the time. So one, there was a very low public uh, awareness that there were even filters on the devices. So when parents bought it, they didn't know. Right. Secondly, the default setting for the filter on pornography, which incidentally is effective, but the default setting was not on, but off. So when you buy this device, this, there's a filter on it, but the setting is off, not on. And then thirdly, the, uh, the, the, the activation of the filter for the typical parent who are not technically competent um, is a barrier. So if they know about it and they activate it, uh, then you've got another problem, and that is that the children, unlike their parents, they're technically competent. They're technically much more competent than most of us who much are out there. Much more so. And, and in that, Bob, that, that's a place where one other state has already passed a filter bill which says you we, when you buy a phone, was it in Utah. Utah? In the state of Utah, when you buy a phone, by law, the filter has to be turned on. Now, their law has this little quirky line in it that says we've got to have five other states who are doing the same thing before we'll enforce it, which is one of the reasons why we're talking about this in South Carolina right now. That's right. And and the, the law is actually simple and elegant in its, in its simplicity and its effectiveness, because what the law says is uh, the default setting for the filter has to be on at the point of sale not off. Right. And that the, uh, the, 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 the filter has to be passcode protected. Now, what that does is it allows the person, the adult who wants to consume this material, uh, adult material, they can, by simply inputting the, the passcode, activate, deactivate the filter. So it's, it's not a barrier for people that want to exercise their First Amendment rights right. and consume this material. But the, the significance is and the beauty of it is, is it gives the parent a tool to use to control their children's access to a, adult material. So the filter's on. If they, the adult, the mom or the dad, have the passcode and they don't give it to the child, the child cannot deactivate the filter. So this is a place where... I, and I, I'm technologically savvy enough to understand this part of it. Where I really got stuck personally was I'm sitting there, okay, so how in the world do we do this? So that if I buy a phone in South Carolina, how in the world are they going to do the enforcement part of it? And Bob did a phenomenal job of connecting us with folks who who made it really simple. I mean, let's let's break this down, Bob. We talked about it with, with some folks uh, on a conference call just the other day. In the same iPhone that I have here can be sold in China or sold in Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. And there are certain aspects of the phone that are automatically turned on as soon as I activate it within the boundary, that political boundary of China or Saudi Arabia, right? Or any place else, like the boundary between South Carolina and North Carolina. Okay. Or South Carolina and Georgia. The phone knows where it's at. And they also, it knows where it is when it's sold. So when they, if you're sold and if the phone is sold in South Carolina, the phone knows that in South Carolina, we have a law that says the filter has to be turned on. So it's turned on. But if that same phone is sent rather than to South Carolina through inventory, it's sent to Georgia and they don't have the law. Right. Uh, then it's not turned on because the phone knows. And so this is part of the setup process 
that phone companies are able to use when you first set up your phone. You know what it's like when you first set up your phone and you got to go through all of the little things to get everything set up. This is a place where phone manufacturers can actually go in in the programming of that setup, determine where you are, and based upon that, use certain rules. Because in, in China, there are certain filters of certain content you cannot access because of the clampdown that is China. Or in Saudi Arabia, where there is zero access to exactly. pornography. So, so the technology exists. It's, it's in place right now. So it's not going to burden the manufacturers to, um, to activate it for pornography. It's a very simple process. And, and it's elegant in that the people who want to exercise their First Amendment rights, they can do so by inputting the passcode that's given to them when they buy the phone. And if uh, it's given to a parent, the beauty of it is, is it gives the mom and the dad the power to control their child's access to uh, pornography. That access is not controlled by big tech. It's not controlled by government. It's controlled by the, the family. Exactly. Where it belongs. Exactly. We're going to hit a second topic. Bob, this particular piece, next piece of legislation that we're taking a look at is really an important one when we start thinking about, as we were talking with Lisa a little while ago, we were talking about the fact that there are so many ways where kids are passing back and forth or they're getting involved in the recording or taking certain illicit photos and things along those lines and passing those things along. It's almost becoming a norm in that that often can become an on-ramp into human trafficking because of the blackmail aspect of that. You know, uh, a guy <laughs> takes a picture, sends it to another girl. She's mad at him. He, she ends up putting it out there in public. And now all of a sudden, it's either you do what I need for you to do, or I'm going to show this to everybody, or guy, a girl with a guy, guy with a girl. Either way, we're talking now about, for lack of a better phrase, a cyber sexual harassment or, or a revenge, revenge porn. porn. What exactly is that, and how does that play itself out? Well, throughout the United States, it's more commonly known as revenge porn. We have called it cyber sexual harassment uh, because it affects children more so than young adults, but affects both populations as well. Um, children are aware that sexual harassment's a bad thing. So we've called it cyber sexual harassment uh, just so that we can connect with the kids and they understand that if you do this, you're breaking the law and it's a bad thing. But what it is, is um, again, it's these phones that have made this possible. Back uh, before the advent of the smartphone with the um, photo uh, capacity, uh, it didn't happen, but with the advent of uh, the cameras on the smartphones, it made possible this practice. And, and pornography that flooded the internet and the kids' exposure to it has normalized this form of depravity where the kids think that it's normal, okay, nothing wrong with it, to exchange a sexually explicit picture of themselves with somebody else. You know, oftentimes it's another kid but sometimes it's somebody that they don't know, somebody that they don't know who happens to be a predator, a, a, a pedophile who's looking to get um, sexually explicit pictures of children. And, um, and these people, these, these, these uh, predators, uh, they realize that the kids are strapped for money, so they offer them money in exchange for um, sexually explicit pictures and then they use those pictures, as you've mentioned earlier, 
to coerce these children uh, into a sex trafficking situation, and thus the on-ramp that you're right. talking about. So this is a place where where groomers, recruiters, uh, one of the ways. Uh, yes, this is one of the ways that they are getting into getting getting children and probably adults as well into a siphon and siphoning them into in the human trafficking world. Once they're there, it's very difficult to get them out. When we think about that from this standpoint, we've you you brought this to a, the legislature last year. You yes. got a little bit of traction, True. but we've got to get more. Why? Well, this is a problem that is nationwide. That it's, ha- it's a f- impacted all 50 states. Every state in the union except South Carolina has a statute for revenge porn. We're the only state, <clears throat> excuse me, in the United States that doesn't have a revenge porn statute. So when a child exchanges uh, a sexually explicit image with another child or they give it to an adult, uh, the only law that's available to law enforcement today is the production and possession of child pornography, right? which is a major felony, which carries with it assignment to the sex offenders registry. And most law enforcement, they see a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, and they say, this is a, this is a, you know, a childhood indiscretion. Right. We don't want to put them on the sex offenders registry for life. Uh, we don't want to fi- you know, give them a, a major felony. It's going to ruin their lives. So they, they, they give them a lecture, but they don't, they don't sanction them. Um, and so, you know, what the law enforcement has done, they've asked us, the Richland County uh, Sheriff's Office has asked us, the Legislative Roundtable, to promote this law and get it passed because they need it. They need it because this practice is pervasive amongst the juvenile population. The juveniles have grown into... Uh, young adults, and it's now become pervasive amongst the young adult population. And we can't be the only state in the union without a statute to address this criminal behavior. So, folks, this is where your involvement in this issue, this is simple. This is a really simple legislative win that we simply need to put effort behind and push it across the line. I can guarantee you with the members that we have in the South Carolina House and Senate, with a governor who is going to be supportive of families, we are going to be finding ways to get you involved in getting this piece of legislation passed. It's going to be very important because, yet again, we're dealing with an on-ramp onto one of the biggest dark industries that is using human beings as product. If you have a problem with slavery... You need to have a problem with human trafficking because this is modern-day slavery. Let's talk about one other item. May I just say one last thing? Absolutely. We met with uh, with SLED. Uh, State Law Enforcement Division, our, our, our chief legal, our chief uh, law enforcement in South Carolina. Not only do the sheriffs, Richland County sheriffs and other sheriffs say this is an important issue, SLED said this is huge. We've got to deal with it. We can't allow this to continue. Right. So let's talk about a third a third bill. And and this one really kind of digs deep into what we talked about earlier. It's a commercial sex demand reduction bill. Back in the day when when pr- prostitution laws were put into effect, the the 
the seller was considered to be the product. In 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 the back in the day, uh, a woman is is a prostitute. A man buys a service. They both get charged with this, and it ends up becoming a place where they both end up with. Um, they both get charged for this, but the charge in South Carolina law currently is minuscule in comparison to the realities of what we're facing. That's true. The there's two there's two things that you should remember about this demand reduction act, and the first is that the structure. You mentioned that briefly. The structure is not doesn't comport doesn't align with the reality of today's commercial sex markets, and the second is. And you just mentioned it, it is, has very little, if any, deterrence because this this law hasn't been addressed by the legislature in 36 years. The last time it was amended was in uh, 1986, and the fine, the first offense fine for solicitation of prostitution for buying sex is a fine of up to $200. That ranks South Carolina 48th out of 50 states. That's two weeks of gas Three weeks of gas for you today, okay? Just th- put not. it. Let's put that into perspective. Exactly. Let's put that into perspective real quick because in 1986, 200 bucks in today's dollars is probably maybe a thousand, a thousand maybe, if you take inflation into account over the last 34 years. But Bob, what you're saying here is this: we haven't touched this law. No. Since then. No. And it's time to with with the changes in technology, with the things that are going on, and what we see today to truly be a human trafficking commercial sex business, it's really time to start taking a look at this. Yeah, let me just talk about the business aspect of it because it's important that you understand the economics. It is a business, it's driven by a profit motive and it has supply and it has demand as you've mentioned, David. But you have to understand that demand drives it all. The demand is, uh, supply follows demand. And if you don't have demand, you don't have supply, and the supply is the product. In the case of uh, commercial sex, the product is a person, and oftentimes the person is a very young person. So, you know, we have to do something about this. So if you want to diminish the criminal enterprise, the underground sex economy, you have to go over demand, after demand. You've got to stop the customers from buying commercial sex because the money that they spend on commercial sex is the sole source of revenue that creates and sustains the underground sex economy. And if you want to diminish the underground sex economy, thereby diminishing the supply, thereby diminishing the population of people held in its bondage, you have to diminish the demand. You have to, that's, this is called the Demand Reduction Act and that's why. If you don't demand, diminish demand. The other thing about the law is that uh, one of the primary purposes of a law is to deter people. Right. And it has no deterrent value at $200, absolutely none. So, so the, pers- the, the, the person who is being sold mm-hmm. and the buyer right. are both charged $200 for a first offense. If that. If that. That doesn't, let's go back to the business model, Bob. Let's go, let's go back to what we talked about because this is a commercial business. Absolutely. It is product. It is buyer. It is seller. It is the distributor. It is the wholesaler. It is the marketer. It is the influencer that is, is raising up the demand for it. There are so many other places. Does this bill begin to, one, recognize the person who is being sold 
as more of a victim and less of a purveyor? And, and that's where the structure uh, comes in. The structure of the law was built around what I call a transaction concept, where you have a criminal transaction between two consenting adults. If they're equally consenting, they're equally culpable, and thus they deserve equal penalties. So the buyer and the seller the, uh, for prostitution and solicitation, they're, they're covered under the same criminal code, the same statute, So and they have the same penalty. So if you increase right now the penalty on one, you increase it on the other. Right. And and as you mentioned, the, the the seller is more of a victim because they're coerced into it uh, in sex trafficking. The the market the market is, is inclusive of both traditional prostitution and sex trafficking. So the sex buyers move between the two facets right. uh, of sex trafficking, which is not consensual. And the dominant venue is sex trafficking, not not traditional prostitution. So most of the people charged in South Carolina and throughout the nation with um, with prostitution are victims of sex trafficking. But they don't declare themselves as a victim. If they did under our bill, they would be uh, have an affirmative defense for the charge. But the reason they don't is they're of fear. They're afraid of the pimps and the traffickers that are holding them in bondage. They're saying that if, 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 uh, if I declare myself a victim, I'm going to be uh, beat up, hurt, maybe killed. Well, it goes back to what Lisa said in our first segment. We were talking about that those who are trafficking people meet their needs, then they isolate them, then they break them, then they start marketing them, and then it's the maintenance of the product, and it's a reusable product that, that eventually eventually wears out. There have been so many horrible stories of people who have just been burned out in this industry to the point that they kill themselves. You've got some who have been rescued from this situation, and their lives have been miraculously, by God's grace, turned around. But Bob, final thought on this, as, as we think about this, there are downloadable handouts that, that are available from Lighthouse for Life. You can go to lighthouseforlife.org and download those handouts so that you can read more about these bills and become familiar with them. Final thought here, why in the world should the people who are watching this today force our legislature to finally address this issue? If, if you have any regard for children at all, I mean, they're our future, they're our most valuable asset. If you have any regard for children whatsoever, you want this legislation because all of it is directed not just at protecting adults, not just to protecting the, children, the, the, the community, but our children, for crying out loud, we have to protect our children. If we don't do that, we're lost as a people. We absolutely are. Bob Healy with the South Carolina Legislative Roundtable. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. When we come back, we're going to have some final comments with Lisa Kerr. So stay with us. Christianity has done more good for more people than any other entity or force in the world by far, period. We will not be deterred. We will not be intimidated. We will not be shut up. We will not sit down. We will not slow down. We will double down. 
Welcome back to the fastest growing conservative podcast here in South Carolina. I'm Dave Wilson. Uh, Lisa, we're going to wrap up with some final thoughts. You know, as, as you think about human trafficking, one of the biggest aspects of this is it's really all around us. All the time. All the time. There's mm-hmm. so many different places where we don't even think about the fact that this is getting connected in. There, there are ways that you, as you are in your community, as you are part of the guardrails of South Carolina where God has you, mm-hmm. we're going to give you a few things really quick to help you begin to know and understand what are areas that people need to get their antenna, their radar, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, aware to be looking for this going on around them. So the first thing that I would say is you don't even have to do much to change your lifestyle to be a part of the fight. I think everybody in South Carolina, everybody period, can be a part of this fight just by living your lives with intentionality. And that means recognizing that if you are caring for a neighbor, you are decreasing the target on their back because you're providing them love and attention and making them be seen and known and valued so that they might turn to you instead of to a trafficker. If you are in a... um, I was talking to a, a guy who owned a car dealership this morning and was telling him how important it would be for his guys to be trained because what if an individual is buying a car, because I've heard of this, as a gift as part of the grooming process to another young lady? Well, the more you know and understand the world of human trafficking, the more you can start asking questions of those that are just within your regular area of life right. and learning what you can. But meet the vulnerability. Another big area, especially for parents, is be a place of safety in your home Um, and by that I don't just mean um, monitor who they're talking to or um, paying attention to who somebody's friends are what the curfew hours are but don't let any conversation be a taboo conversation I know that growing up pornography would not have been talked about in my household sex would not have been talked about curiosities around this world and attractions would not have been talked about we need to be talking about them and we have to talk about them with our as soon as kids can talk and there's different ways you can do that to different degrees but if they ask you a question don't shut it down be a place where they can process because if they can come to you as a place of safety if you're not going to be that a guarantee a trafficker will be so this is a place where as families we have to be very mindful of as lisa said the conversations that we're actually having Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about this and we talked about it on a previous podcast just recently about the types of books that are showing up in our libraries, mm-hmm. in our public libraries, in our school libraries. There's a book called Flamer mm-hmm. in Richland, too. I talked with a senator today who was talking about the fact that there are pornography books that are yes. in your school libraries. This is not a place for the school to step in because honestly, yeah. what you're ending up doing with this particular case is you're opening up the 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 freeway mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. introduce kids into pornography get them into a lifestyle change mm-hmm. and actually it does more damage in in fueling mm-hmm. human trafficking you might as well be handing them heroin right because that that is in essence mm-hmm. the the way that the human brain wires mm-hmm. on sex and pornography is a very damning way because it gets hardwired in there. Mm-hmm. And and I think more and more when we recognize that we need to have open mm-hmm. conversations. They're not taboo conversations right. that you don't need to be having with your kids. That's right. There are ways to yes. have those conversations. And if you would like resources on how to talk with your kids mm-hmm. 
What are some great places that people can find those? Lighthouseforlife.org. There you go. <laughs> we have books we'd recommend broken down by different age groups. We have videos. We have handouts. We've got lots of resources. If it's not on there, let us know and we'll help you find it because this is such a critical area. But it's even, again, going back to caring for your community, um, painting a house, just loving on those around you is a big barrier on the flip side of it don't stop learning about this fight i could sit here and i could tell you some signs to look for but for example um a tattoo may be a sign of branding but it doesn't mean that anybody that has a tattoo is a victim of human trafficking so signs in and of themselves are not a great way to just say oh they have all of these signs they must be a victim the reason why signs are important is when you start to understand how human trafficking operates and how traffickers groom, then you can start put, to put those pieces together and you're gonna be able to do that easier when you learn more about it. So take advantage of the books, of the resources, of the documentaries on our website. And then as you become more comfortable, don't be afraid to call for help. And that could be um, local law enforcement, 911. Even if they respond and seemingly are not interested, tell them anyways. If you're not sure, you can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline number. That's 1-888-373-7888. You can call them to say, hey, I don't know if this is human trafficking. Can you help me process this situation? You can call to report something. You can call anonymously if you're a victim. Give that number to everybody that you know, because it could be that somebody's not a victim today, but they might be tomorrow, and they would have wished that they had a number to call. Um, reach out to another area is like the foster care community, which we know is a big thing these days. Like you can fight human trafficking by helping to support foster parents who are trying to figure out how to raise these kids. Be a support network for them. Bring the kids into your community. Um, look for ways to go to neighborhoods that don't have the income to put their kids in sports and in safe outlets and say, how do I come alongside and provide opportunities for these kids so that they're not targeted by traffickers. So even with outside your normal circumstances, be proactive to see what we can do and join hands together. That's a great way of thinking about that because it really boils down to, and we've talked about this plenty of times, it's all about how you are reflecting the light and love of Jesus on the guardrail of your community where God has you. That's right. It doesn't matter what town you live in in South Carolina, this is happening in your community. Right. whether you know it or not. As we say on here all the time, here are the issues. Here's why they matter. Here's what the Bible says about them, and here's what you can do. Mm -hmm. So on the link on this, we'll provide a link over on our website so that if you're not connected to here and within the Midlands at Lighthouse for Life, there are other organizations yes. across the state. We want to make sure that you know who they are and where they are so that you can get in touch with them. You can provide resources for them. You can invest in the work that they're doing. But most importantly, we needed, we took a little extra time today. It's a little bit longer of a podcast. The, the reason for that is this, for you to know and understand and begin to recognize this going on in your community is so, so vitally important. Mm -hmm. And we will continue to devote the time and the energy and the efforts it takes to bring an end to human trafficking and the ruining of lives. Because guess what, folks? That's the reason we're here. That's right. It's leading people to Jesus Christ and giving them an mm -hmm. opportunity to truly hear the gospel. Yes. So for Justin Hall and Mitch Prosser, Kevin Caiello, and our entire team here at Palmetto Family, 
We pray that you would uh, find a way to get yourself involved in this. And thanks so much for making this time to watch and listen to the fastest growing conservative podcast in South Carolina.